young ones. And yeah, I have to chuckle because Wade, always in Wade's wisdom, right? We come in for the rehearsal dinner, and he looked at me, and like the first thing he said was, I'll be better tomorrow about 24 hours from now. That was funny. And then he finished with, you got five of these to look forward to. Hysterical. Yes, yes, I do. Um, but man, listen, you all, there's nothing sweeter than giving our babies to somebody that loves the Lord and wants to love them, right? And you and I need to be working overtime in this church, making sure that we're creating an environment where that happens, right? Where young men are acting like young men, they're growing into men, and where young ladies are looking for the right kind of man to love and to love them, okay? There's nothing more important than that. And the Lord has, uh, he's been good to our church. He's blessed us with many children. We need to make sure that we're not just housing them at eight, but we're looking forward to 18, and then we're looking forward to 28 because it's going to come and it's going to be here. And I just, I love the opportunities of doing weddings with our kids at this church. Um, The ones that have made it have been such a huge, huge blessing, uh, constantly just seeing that. So what an awesome time it was. We'll be in Luke chapter 1 today. We started uh, last week. There'll be no sermon notes this morning. I, uh, I wasn't able to get them all down. Uh, my bed wasn't conducive to typing out notes. So I got what I've got, and then we're just going to go with it. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 today. We're going to be reading through uh, one of these Christmas reads, okay? Where were we at? Well, last week we talked about we had a Christmas needs list, right? You know, your Christmas wants, right? You're circling that catalog when it used to be a catalog. Now, what is it, an Amazon shopping cart? Right, what do you what do the kids do now when they like Amazon shopping cart or something, right? They're gonna put it they got this want, right? I want this, I want that. When it comes to the context of the Christian faith, you and I don't get the 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 joy of a want. We have a list of needs. And they are extravagant. Like they're things that you and I cannot provide for ourselves. They are things that you and I cannot overcome on our own. We have a Christmas needs list. Right, we were all on the naughty list. No hope of getting off. What was that list? Well, sin has corrupted our souls and broken our world. Like part of our Christmas needs list was to deal with this sin that had corrupted me and then corrupted the world. Because of what our mother and father had done, the rest of the world was brought into subjection to sin and brokenness. Romans chapter 8 talks about that. It says the whole world is groaning waiting for you and I to be made right with God so that we can be made right with creation. That's a powerful passage, man. You want to read through something really cool, read through Romans 8 and do it once a week. So much in that passage, so much depth. The groaning, the pain, the frustration, the medical issues, right? The, the, the weather-related emergencies. Like all of these things fall into Romans chapter 8. Stuff that you and I don't cause. It's just part of the world, and we're living through it. That was part of our Christmas needs list. You and I have need to make that right. What isn't sinning, what isn't actively sinning against the Lord is groaning to be restored to fellowship with him. Everything is disconnected. Everything is disconnected. Even the most intimate of relationships now are disconnected in pieces by our sin nature. Husband and wife, is marriage easy? Don't, don't answer. I don't want to say anybody up for failure. Because if you don't answer the same way, then somebody's having a conversation later, right? So you either both have to say yes, or you both have to say no, but there could be no ambiguity as to which one it is. So don't answer. 
Marriage is hard at times and beautiful at other times. But when you put two sinful people in the same room, under the same roof, and you say, here's all your stuff, get along. Have one will, move forward, here's money, here's children, here's time, here's job, here's this. Okay, make it work. Like how many sorries does it take? Answer is a bunch. How many times of forgiveness does it take? As many sorries as there are and some right like if you want to do it right listen you're forgiven more you are forgiving more than all the sorries you're given you're letting things go it's hard and all of that is because you and I are disconnected that's part of our Christmas needs list we are separated from God we're separated from each other we're separated from creation you understand initially Adam's job was to take care of the animals not run from them and be scared. His job was to care for them. He named them. I mean, God was actually parading them around him to show him that there wasn't anything suitable for him yet. It's one of my favorite pieces of doing a marriage. On day six, when God creates Eve, he then pronounces everything very good. Now it's complete. It's one of my favorite pieces. We're all disconnected. And you and I, if we're even honest, we're actually disconnected from ourselves as well. Sin has splintered even our own soul. Paul would say it like, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I shouldn't do, I do. And he would grieve that until the day that he died, just as you and I will. Why? Because sin has fractured even our very selves down to the soul. And so you and I are struggling with this person that's still living within us. And it's all under sin. So you see, this list that we have, it's, it's, it's more than just a nice gift. It's more than God doling out something sweet for you and I, just a new toy, a new trinket. It's life or death, and not just physical life or death, eternal life or death. To be with God or to be separated from him. That's the plan God is creating. That's the Christmas gift he is getting ready to give because it's the need that we have. We have no other needs. This world is nice, and there is so much stuff uh, to have and so much stuff to be uh, overjoyed with, and there's nothing wrong with it, man, and a nice home and a nice house and a fun vacation. All this stuff is wonderful, but they are all meant to be enjoyed under the umbrella of what's most important. Salvation with the God of the universe. Serving and loving the God of, of all creation. Being in right relationship with him. Having your stuff be used to help other people too. And then meeting him one day and hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. There's so much to go into what God is trying to do, what God is going to achieve with his Christmas gift. Our needs list, then we went into what? We went into Christmas seeds, how God is showing us what's going to happen. But the Lord had spent centuries planting Christmas seeds in his promises. What were some of the promises that God had made to us that Messiah would come and conquer my enemy, Genesis chapter 3? As far back as we have failed, God did not give them one moment of despair without the hope of what was to come. Friends, don't ever forget that. God is not a harmful dictator, a horrible father, somebody that doles out wrath with no peace or calm. Even when Adam and Eve had turned their back on him, the only two people ever to be born without a sin nature 
They rejected God. And even in that moment, before he even had the curse finished, he gave them hope of redemption. He clothed them himself. God is the first one that kills the first animal. Why? So he can clothe Adam and Eve and help cover their shame. You and I serve a good God. He loves you. There's nothing you've ever done, number one, that he didn't know about. You might as well own it, repent, and get back in right relationship with him. Even when Adam and Eve, who were totally sinless, could look and believe Satan over God, when the moment comes to pay that debt, God shows up. And instead of kicking them out of the garden and letting them wander for days, months, years, whatever, even in the middle of the garden, God creates hope. I'm going to fix this. That's the God you and I serve. He loves you. There's no mess up you've ever done that Jesus can't cover. Stop running from him. What else? What other seeds was planted in the Old Testament to come? He would come to bless all nations and people and give them rest. Man, isn't that glorious? It wasn't just the Jewish nation that Jesus was coming for. It was all of us. He was going to do what Israel couldn't. Israel's job was to make God known to the rest of the world. And instead of doing that properly, they either became like the world and lost all their potency or they separated from the world totally and were of no use ministry-wise. Many Christians have done the same thing over the years. The last two millennia, the, the church has done the same thing. It went too far into the world. Many of them are like that right now. And then at other times we went too far away and we could be no good in service. Be no good in ministry. If you never run into an unsaved person, how are you supposed to do the will of the Lord? So Jesus was going to do what the nation couldn't. And when he did that, he was going to bless all the nations, all the people. That's an amazing promise. That's a good one for me and you because I don't know many Jews in here this morning. So I'm guessing most of us are Gentiles. And the Lord has come to bless us and to give us peace. The Messiah is coming to be familiar with each human experience. He will be our perfect high priest. You and I, for all of eternity, will never look at Jesus and say, you didn't understand what it was like to live as a human, Lord. You didn't understand the temptations. That's what Jesus coming to this uh, world nullified. You and I will never look at him and say that. You don't know what it was like to be betrayed. You don't know what it was like to be hurt. You don't know what it was like to sweat. You don't know what it was like to be nauseous up in front of everybody and trying to hold it all together. You don't understand, Lord. He's going to look at you and I and say, that's not true. I was tempted in every way like you were, yet without sin. I lived through loss and pain and struggle and sweat and tears and heartbreak. And so everything you went through, I was your perfect high priest. I was interceding for you between you and the Lord, and I was doing it perfectly. Nobody could do it better. Every pain, every tear, every grumble can be taken to the one that understands all of it. He will be the sacrifice that makes peace between God and man. You see, that Christmas seed is beautiful. What is going to make peace? The blood of sheep and goats just covers our sin. And even the high priest had to do, he had to, he had to make covering for his own sin. Why? Because he wasn't sinless. Like there's a problem here. It doesn't end. It just covers. And then the next day I do something sinful again. The next week I do something sinful again. And there has to be another covering. And the blood never stops. And the sound never stops. And the sight never stops. It's meant to be grievous. 
what they hear in the distance is not meant to be a joy. It's meant to be a reminder of what sin costs. And then Jesus comes. And once and for all, one death to take away all my sin, all your sin, forevermore. Those that died past, those that would die in the future, the sacrifice of Jesus makes peace between God and man, and he is coming to send the helper for the rest of our stay. Because of what Jesus has done, you and I are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. God, God himself has indwelled us to live this life. So everywhere you go, the church is. Everywhere I go, the church is. When we gather here, there's just power and sweetness and communal living. But when there's no one here, it's just an empty building. You and I bring the Spirit with us. You take him with you to work. You take him with you to school. That idea is flooring. So how do we get there? Luke chapter 1. Christmas reads, Luke chapter 1, the prince and his prophet. Start with me in verse 5. Verses 1 through 4 is, um, is Luke sending a letter to Theophilus, and basically what he's saying in that part is, I've worked hard to make this as detailed as possible. Chapter 5, or verse 5 says this, In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and, was, uh, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel of the Lord said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord." And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Even from his mother's womb, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord, uh, the Lord a people prepared. Man, there's a lot going on in that passage right there. Chapter 1, verses 5 to 7, they had a pedigree, but not a blessing. A character, but no one to pass it on. Zechariah and Elizabeth are older. They're righteous people, and they have no children. And in this moment, God sets a plan. He sets a meeting. By lot, Zechariah is called to come in and offer incense. And when he walks in to the altar, what happens? Someone's there to meet him. The angel Gabriel is going to be there to meet him. I got good news for you, right? every time every time listen i was reading through this and getting ready for this morning and the thought that kept popping up to me is this when you and i get close to doing god's will when you and i get close to doing something the lord would have us do you and i need to understand that's not an easy jump there's always some terror there's always some terror god doesn't deliver his message in all of scripture that the person getting it is not like "Woo, all right let's do this 
right? Every time the angel shows up, what happens? The people fall down. They are scared and terrified. Listen, there's a lot of that in the same way you and I operate with the Lord today. As we navigate this world, as we try to operate in his will, as we try to do his will, as we get closer to doing godly things, or as we get closer to being a part of godly things, sometimes it's scary. And you and I need to understand that. We need to expect that. Even two elderly, righteous people. Now, Elizabeth's not there to speak for herself. So Zachariah is is doing it all on his own. But even he, someone that is righteous, that has been praying for this. Because what's the angel tell him? I've heard your prayers. What was he praying for? Oh, Lord, just bless us all. And just, you know, was it some, was it some just big, amorphous nothing? Right? All just thank you for this food and bless it to our bodies. And right, all just bless the nation of Israel and bless this little lady over here. And no, I've heard your prayer, which would have sounded something like, God, we don't have a son. Who's going to carry on our line? Why is my wife struggling with this? There would have been a lot of heartache and a lot of pain going on in what he was praying about. Why? The Bible says they were righteous people. And they're dealing with this and trying to figure out what's going on. So he is crying out in prayer. The angel shows up and said, God's heard your prayer. And he's going to answer it. The Lord has made an appointment with Zechariah. That's why when they cast lots, it's Zechariah's turn, draws him in. Angel's there, got something for you. A brush with God always require, it always requires a do not be afraid. When God tells you to do something, it's going to require him to come back with do not be afraid. When he asks things, when he demands things of you and I, he will follow with that glorious statement. Do not be afraid. Why? Because the Lord doesn't ask you and I to do easy things. Verses 14 to 17, this one will be no normal man he's going to be called great he'll have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the lord he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the holy spirit even from his mother's womb and he will turn away uh, turn many of the children of israel to the lord their god and he will go before him in spirit power of elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord and his people. What in the world is going on here? Well, Zechariah is not just getting ready to have a son. Zechariah is getting ready to be drug into prophecy. Because who is this son going to be? This son is going to be the one that heralds the way of the Lord. This son is going to be the fulfillment of Isaiah 40, verses 3 to 5. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Zechariah is going to be drug into prophecy malachi 3 verse 1 says this behold i send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight behold he is coming says the lord of hosts the last the last book that we have in our old testament is what malachi what's the last verse of malachi say Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet 
before the great and awesome day that the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The last promise of the Old Testament is that a prophet is coming to prepare the way of the Lord. That promise will be fulfilled by John the Baptist. A promise will be fulfilled through an older couple that should not have children. A promise will be fulfilled by a wild man turned loose on this world. He will be great. He will bring joy. This is not just no normal man. Keep reading with me. Verse 18, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. That's not good. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you to bring joy to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. <laughs> he then got himself in trouble. I don't know, like we're going to keep reading and we're going to read Mary's response in a minute. And I have, I've bent my mind around trying to figure out what's the difference between the two. And I really think the only thing Mary doesn't say is how do I know this is going to happen? Zachariah says, how am I supposed to know this is going to happen? It's like, oh, no, 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 no. Mary's response is more like, how is this even possible, Lord? Like, it's so innocent, right? And it's all good. Zachariah gets in trouble. Like, don't ask dumb questions. I'm an angel, showed up here, divine appointment, and now you're asking me this. This is crazy, right? So you're going to be mute, right? And Elizabeth was like, greatest blessing ever, right? Greatest blessing ever. You're going to be mute until the baby is born. And actually, it was even after the baby was born, because I believe in Jewish culture, it was day eight before you named the child. So even after, like, he's holding the baby, and he still can't talk. And, like, eventually when it's time to name the child, he's able to say his name. So he gets in trouble when he starts asking questions, right? But who could blame him? He's an older man, right? He's probably done his grieving for years over what he didn't have. He's probably, you know, just kind of made his peace and who knows and you say the lord has answered your prayers well who's to say this prayer was prayed the last five minutes what if it was prayed 30 years ago see the difference what if it was prayed 30 years ago what if he was earnestly praying when they were younger and it just never happened never happened never happened for whatever reason god said no not now not now not now and then all of a sudden the angel shows up and blows his mind um how am i supposed to know it's true I shouldn't have said that. Should have kept that one inside. He's going to be amazing. Keep reading with me. Verse 20. And behold, you will be silent, unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe the words which uh, will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when, this, when his time of service had ended, he went home to, uh, he went to his home. Verse 24, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for months she kept herself hidden away, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days uh, when he looked upon me and took away my reproach from among the people. Verses uh, 
18 to 20, God's blessings are so good, even the righteous underestimate them. God's blessings are so good, even the righteous underestimate them. Even righteous people cannot put a picture on what God is doing in their life, what he's doing through other people, what he's doing in and through you, what he's doing in and through your children. Don't ever think you and I have all of God's plan sorted out. God is so good that even righteous people underestimate what he's getting ready to do. You and I need to pray with an open heart and an open mind, especially when it comes to our children and our grandchildren. It's very easy for you and I to kind of open ourselves up to the things of God when it's just us or us and a spouse. But man, when you start talking about your kids, you start talking about God using them or growing them or doing something in them or taking them wherever they need to go, we get a real, it gets a little harder to speak those things freely, right? We like to kind of hang on to our hands there and maybe, maybe finger up a little bit and just kind of hang on. Righteous people underestimate how good God is. Don't ever forget that. What he promises, he will bring about, and he will do it more amazing than you, can, you could ever, ever dream. The promise is fulfilled. There's a child in her womb where, uh, she, where there should be, uh, have been none. Much like salvation, he has given her a blessing and removed her stain. Now, we're just talking ancient culture here, and that was the idea in ancient culture. You were cursed. For some reason, you were cursed. That's why you can't have children. And that was a, it was a blot on, on the lives of women during that time. And yet, in this moment, God gives her a blessing and removes her stain. It looks just like salvation. Been given righteousness, and your sin has been taken away. He has done a mighty work in Elizabeth's life. She is conceived, and for five months she is kept away. Now let's read the second story. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from uh, God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid again and again and again. Mary, for you have found favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high God and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. You know, another amazing announcement comes in this passage. Here's my question. Why does John the Baptist get so many, so much time, and it seems like Mary gets so little? Because when, you read, uh, when you're reading this book, remember, it always, there's always a tail end that goes somewhere else. What is the point of bringing about John's birth story in so much detail? It's not for John's sake. It's for Jesus Messiah pointing out, there's the herald. There's Elijah. We told you he was coming. There he is. There is his story. His story was those that were just as much as dead. He's given uh, life. The womb is, is made whole. And Elijah comes to herald the way of Jesus. When you're reading this story, it's like, man, they get so much of the story to Zechariah and Elizabeth, and then they give so few verses to Mary and telling her part of the story. That being said, she also responds a little differently than Zechariah as well. Not as much chit-chat, not as much rebuttal. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, 
You have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in the womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High God. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. Verse 34, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? How will this be, Lord? This is not possible. This is impossible. And the angel said to her, You're going to be mute until the baby's born. Nope. That's what I can't figure out. Right, she asked a question. I think it's just in the realm of innocent. Like, how's this going to be? This, this is impossible, God. Right? Whereas Zechariah was like, I'm old. I don't believe that. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This one will be no mere man. He will be the son of God. He will sit on the throne of David forevermore. This blessing to come, this prince of peace, is going to rectify the whole world. He's going to fix every problem. The Son of Man has come, and he's going to come through this teenage girl. I want you to think about that just for a couple minutes. Like when she says, Let the Lord's will be done, what is she doing right there? She is sowing tremendous what? Faith. Because what's the outcome usually going to be for someone that is pregnant outside of marriage in that culture? Depends on what kind of person the betrothed husband is. We find out in Joseph's story that he is a man of mercy. And so instead of setting her forth to be stoned, what does he do? He sets her aside quietly and just tries to divorce her. But she says yes with no one there to bounce the decision off of, to no one, no one there to ask any wise counsel. She just says, let the Lord's will be done. What a tremendous amount of faith for a young one in the middle of this miraculous moment just to utter the words that I hope you and I would have the same kind of gumption to say. Let the Lord's will be done. Not having any clue how it was going to end. This is an amazing, this is an amazing story of scripture it's an amazing story that you and i get to love and to read and to be a part of as we watch this thing play out and may it never get old the messiah has come last passage and then we're going to wrap up this morning verse 39 in those days mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to the town in judah and she entered the house of zachariah and greeted elizabeth and when elizabeth heard the greeting of mary the baby leapt in her womb the first person to acknowledge the savior was who a baby a baby in womb filled with the holy spirit being set apart for service to god john the baptist himself was going to set the world on fire and even in the womb you could see it coming it's an amazing story an amazing time the light of the world is coming the baby leaps in the womb. 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Blessed is the one that believes the promises of God. And you and I are here today, gathered together, loving one another, being (laughs) sinless for all better, I mean, there's no better way to put it. You know the Lord, you've been washed in his blood, you've been redeemed on the cross. You and I stand here today having committed 10 million sins, things that we've thought, things that we've said, things that no one else has any clue about between you and God. If you were to stack them up and run a Rolodex, you wouldn't even be able to stop the cards. And yet you and I, because of this story, get to stand here today, sit here today, enjoy each other's company, live at peace with one another, be building God's kingdom, enjoying each other's successes, grieving each other's losses, loving each other well because of this story, because of what God gave, because the needs we had that could not be fixed by any other person, they could only be fixed by the God of the universe to come himself and do what we couldn't do. As they come this morning to play, my challenge for you today is to not let this stuff get old. Man, so many things in life that are of the utmost importance to us, we let them get old. Your marriage, right? Your children. Some of these things are so flashy and, and, and other things that are coming on, and this is new and that's new. Listen, it is the basics of life that matter the most. The people closest to you, your family, your church, most of all your God. And yet because they are so normal to us, sometimes they lose some of that shine. My request for you this morning is simply this. Read these stories and remember again what is going on. A barren woman, old in age, and a husband. They end up fulfilling prophecy. John the Baptist is going to come. Now that story is hard to deal with the rest of the time because John the Baptist ends up dying young. I remember Pastor Don saying one time why he thought that uh, God waited so long for Zachariah and Elizabeth to have a child is because they didn't, he didn't want, God didn't want his mom and dad to see what was going to happen to John the Baptist as he was set forth on his mission. I thought, man, that's powerful to think about because that guy was going to be used to set the world on fire and some loved him and some what? Hated him same for Jesus right Jesus's mother is still there but Jesus understands loss his dad is not mentioned in scripture after the age of 12 at some point in time after the age of 12 Jesus become the man of his household he understands loss he understands responsibility he understands the things in this life that you and I would say are not fair do not look at these things and grow tired of seeing them there's a real story here the God of the universe that loves you and came to this world to redeem you and instead of watching you be cast into hell where you and I should be he redeems us wins us pays our ransom and loves us for all of eternity stand with me this morning if you need something you come my sleep is gone